the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. It reads like a laundry list that could have been created by the devil himself. Terrorist attacks, mass shooting attacks on campuses, political strife, racism, economic instability, moral decline, church attendance decline, certainly true here in the San Francisco Bay Area. And it has to make you pause and wonder as we take account of what's going on not only on the the stage um, morally, spiritually, politically across the globe, but certainly here at home, exactly what's going on. Where is the church? Where should we as Christians be in addressing all of this? Because we know ultimately the insights and the key to not only what's wrong, but what the solution is, is ultimately found in Scripture. A very special conference coming to the San Francisco Bay Area this weekend. We'll give you more details on that. But uh, meanwhile, I'd like to invite into our conversation tonight Pastor Andrew Chavaria. He is pastor at Elkhart Church of Christ, a U.S. Army veteran, co-founder of Liberty Cannon Media Group, the executive director of the Truth and Liberty Foundation, speaks all across the country on the topic of uh, culture, God, government, and where our nation is today, where it's headed spiritually, and most importantly, where is the church we need to be? And Andrew, great to have you on the program. Hey, thanks for having me on. Uh, We appreciate the opportunity. Boy, you know, kind of uh, taking the temperature, so to speak, morally and spiritually of where America is at today, it, it would seem that not only are we in trouble, But many would wonder, where does the church stand in all of this? I mean, it wasn't all that long ago that the mainstream church in America seemed to be supercharged politically. That certainly was true in the 1980s. We were on the cutting edge of of addressing many moral and spiritual issues, uh, both from the pulpit as well as uh, from a political standpoint. But it seems as if in in recent years there's kind of been an atrophying of not only the church's um, influence in the governance of our nation, but, but even in terms of just our our overall influence in, in the day-to-day uh, life in America. Why is that? You know, I, I think it boils down to, to uh, the simple aspect of turnover. Uh, when you think about, and what I mean by that is we've lost some of the wise and old leadership that we had in the 80s, and we've now turned to individuals that grew up in the 60s and the 70s, those that grew up during the sexual revolution, and uh, those that grew up in a day and age where, uh, quite frankly, uh, the theory of evolution and all of these things during the space race kind of rude the day in the classroom. And um, quite simply, I think Abraham Lincoln put it best. He said the philosophy of the classroom in one generation will be the philosophy of the government in the next. And uh, we now see what happens when you remove God. I mean, when you start about 1965, uh, 1965, we start removing God from the classroom. We start, uh, we start uh, going, going progressively through the years. We remove the Bible from classrooms. We remove prayer from classrooms. Um, then we start getting into the 70s, and now abortion becomes the norm with Roe v. Wade. 
then you get into the 90s, homosexuality uh, gets on the platform, and uh, now you get into the 2000s, and it's, it's the law of the land. Well, how did all of this happen? Well, it happens because people that grew up already sensitizing themselves to this aspect of life kind of just just stay back and and you know like i said i mean abraham lincoln said it best this is now the philosophy of our government and we now live in a place and time where um i think and then this is just my personal philosophy it's one of the reasons that i travel the country talking about this stuff um i think that it's also weighed heavy on our pulpits our pulpits aren't the same anymore they're so watered down and uh preaching a, a you know they're, they're basically giving people a stick of cotton candy when they walk through the door and there's no truth being preached anymore so really in, in a large sense then this is sort of the product of erosion i mean the, the old saying that yeah. the drip becomes the trickle that turns into the stream that becomes the river and before you know it it's cut the grand canyon and in some respects while we can't point to any singular event that um, is at the center of this. It's many of the events. It, it, it's, uh, you know, kicking God out of the classroom. Uh, you know, dare we put up the Ten Commandments to encourage students to do things like, I don't know, not steal, not kill, not lie, obey their parents, things of that sort. Yeah. And so all of a sudden, then, you have a combination of what's taking place not only at, at the institutional level, within public education, certainly within right. higher education, the body politic, then we add to that. I think you're right. Some Some levels of frustration in the pulpit in America today that, and certainly this is not meant to be a blanket accusation, Pastor, but there are some pastors, I think, that would conclude that, you know, if I get up there and I start preaching sin, salvation, sanctification, start really talking about the tough, serious stuff that we see in Scripture, there'll be nobody there on Sunday morning, and, you know, we've got to pay an electric light bill, and I have a salary that has to be paid, and, you know, we need to put new carpeting in the church, so I'm going to have to go a little bit easier on all of this, and as a result, we end up watering down the effectiveness of the gospel to the point where it has no effect. Right. And, and to me, when when that happens, and, and I mean, it, it's textbook. You see churches like this popping up everywhere, um, you know, multi-million dollar buildings. They have the whole, you know, the whole band, the lights, the smoke, everything like that, uh, to draw people to come in and do those things. And the sermon is just so fluffy that you just really don't get anything out of it. But I, I think what that is a product of is that's a product of Christians who have lost their identity. You know, when we, when we start, and here's what I mean by that. So many people think that you go to church. And here's the thing, and this is coming from a guy that stands up almost every single Sunday behind a pulpit somewhere. If not my home church, I'm somewhere preaching and teaching the gospel. So, so just, you know, stick with me when I say it, because I'm kind of talking to myself. But you don't come to church. You go to worship God. The Bible actually teaches Christians that we are the church. We're the ones that are called out. And when we get that in our mind, when we start realizing that that is our identity, we are the church, and we stop going to church and we start going to worship God, it doesn't matter what the pastor, the preacher, the evangelist, the reverend, the minister, I don't care what you call it, it doesn't matter what he says. If it's true, you're there to worship God and you're going to accept it. So then the real distinction here is the difference between going to church and being the church. Yep. And that's why we are where we are today. And the, the catalyst that, that this has happened, the reason that this has happened, is because of the pulpit. Um, you know, Charles Finney is probably one of my favorite characters during the American Revolution. He was a, he was a cleric during the American Revolution. And he actually says, I mean, and I'm just going to kind of quote this pretty quick, but he says, Brethren, our preaching will bear its legitimate fruits. If immorality prevails in the land, the fault is ours 
in a great degree. Mm. Listen to what he says next, though. He says, if there's, if there's a decay of conscience, the pulpit is responsible for it. He says, if the press, if the public press lacks moral discrimination, the pulpit is responsible for it. If the church grows degenerate and worldly, the pulpit is responsible for it. He goes on and he says, if the world loses interest in religion, that's key right now. That's, you, you talked about in the introduction that so many people, even in the Bay Area, to a low attendance uh, in churches. If people lose interest in religion, he says the pulpit's responsible for it. But I want you to see what happens next, because this is what we're talking about, the climate of where we are as a nation right now. He says if Satan rules in the halls of legislation, the pulpit is responsible for it. If our politics become so corrupt that the very foundation of our government is ready to fall away, the pulpit is responsible for it. Then he concludes, he says, let us not ignore this fact, my dear brethren, but let us lay to heart and be thoroughly awake to our responsibility in respect to the morals of this nation. The reason that Charles Finney could speak so boldly that way is because when we declared our independence, when we declared our independence, the king did not attribute George Washington. He did not attribute the Continental Army. He did not attribute the militia and the Minutemen. The, per, the, the people that they attributed American independence to, that our enemy attributed American independence to, was a group that he called the Black Robe Regiment. It was the pastors and the preachers of the day. He said it's because they're preaching truth and they're preaching liberty in Christ and they're preaching what we don't want them to preach, and that's where America spurned its freedom from. The pulpit was responsible for American freedom. Well, ironically enough, uh, you know, e- even a, a stranger to our land, a visitor, uh, de Tocqueville, made the exact same observation in terms of the impact and importance of what takes place at the pulpit. I mean, at the end of the day, uh, we have to recognize, and when we talk about things such as a moral code, that the Bible is the standard setter, but it is the church that is the standard bearer. And if we're not willing to bear the standard that Scripture sets for us and make that proclamation from the pulpit and live it out in the pews, uh, then I think the observations of, of, of Finney, as, as uncomfortable as they may be, are perhaps sadly bang on. We'll take a brief time out. We'll come back to more of our conversation. Our special guest in this segment of the program is Pastor Andrew Chavarria. As Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. One of the issues here perhaps at hand is we're sort of um, doing some quarterbacking and analysis of what's happened in the, the moral and spiritual decline in America in the last generation, maybe going on two generations now. One of, I think, the issues uh, that is contributory to all of this uh, is the perception, real or otherwise, that there is a tremendous amount of disunity within the body of Christ. Now, let me hasten to add, some people say, well, you know, that's the problem with doctrine. Doctrine divides. Well, doctrine should divide. Uh, There is a reason why Christ even himself talked about separating the wheat from the chaff. So good, sound doctrine is critically important. That's not the kind of disunity I'm talking about. It's the sense of 
everybody kind of their own corner doing their own thing, um, not not giving much concern to a sense of, of cooperation with one mind, one heart, one spirit, uh, one goal of what Christ has called us to do. Uh, to love our God, to love our neighbors as we love ourselves, and, of course, to go about uh, the Great Commission and sharing the gospel in all the world. I think the effectiveness of that really is compromised when there is a tremendous sense of disunity about the body in many respects just because we're too busy doing our own thing or we feel uh, intimidated because somebody may be a little bit more successful in one arena or another than we are. And so, you know, rather than working together, we shy away from it because we feel a, a bit intimidated. Uh, what about that perspective, uh, Pastor Chavarria? Is this issue of, of a lack of unity contributory to this problem? problem? You know, I, I think it is. I really think it is. I think the modern American church uh, today is so disjointed that that's why we can't find a foothold um, in making America what Ronald Reagan called that shining city on a hill. Um, you know, and, and we're, we're so disjointed to the part there is, you're right, sound doctrine is needed. I mean, you know, one of the ways that I break it down for, and this kind of makes it real for people, is the Bible took about approximately 1,600 years to write. It was 40 different authors, 300 years between the two Testaments where God didn't reveal himself to anyone. Then you have those 40 different guys that you have to talk about that didn't ever cross paths, but the central message is Jesus. And God took a lot of time to preserve all of that for us. And uh, when you think about it that way, you know, it's really easy to say, you know, God said what he meant, and he meant what he said. And one of the things that God says in the Word, in the book of 1 Corinthians, is uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 11, Paul says, let there be no divisions among you. You know, I'm a part of a group, uh, it's called the Radicals, and uh, we all have different, quote-unquote, denominational backgrounds. Everybody has a different denominational background. Uh, But we all agreed, and everybody's a Christian leader or a pastor or a preacher somewhere, but we started this group together. We meet every Tuesday night uh, on, a, on a video platform, and we all started meeting together. And, and among us, there's millions of people that follow us on social media and, and, uh, and come to our churches and hear us preach. We all agreed that it was time in America to break down the walls of denominationalism and to start being Christians. That's it. The Bible doesn't—you know, it's funny. The Bible doesn't mention the word— and I know this might step on some people's toes, but if you want to hear and understand more about what I'm going to say, we'll talk about the event that I'm talking about later. But the Bible never says Catholic. The Bible never says Pentecostal. The Bible never says Baptist. The Bible never says Methodist. The Bible calls those that follow after Jesus Christians. And when we start following Jesus and we start deciding to be Christians, man, that's unity. That's oneness. We have the doctrine. The doctrine is the Word of God. That's the Bible. We have that. And if we can stick to that and we just call ourselves Christians, we will turn, the, not, not the nation, we'll turn the world upside down. Of course, one of the other challenges I think that's contributory that goes hand in hand with that, and not only that sense of, of competition as opposed to cooperation, but also the fact that sometimes there's so much of an emphasis on, on doing as opposed to being, and I think that goes to the heart of another big issue, and that is just a, a lack of really understanding what true discipleship really 
looks like. People think I show up to church on Sunday morning, drop a couple of bucks in the offering plate. Uh, you know, whenever there's a bake sale, I always be sure to contribute, and they think that therefore qualifies them uh, as a quote-unquote Christian. But they've never been right. through a discipleship process. They don't know how to pray. They don't know how to read the Word. They've never shared their faith with another person. Right. Right. We just basically convert people, and then we throw them to the wolves and expect them to be mature Christians, and it's just never going to work. Yeah, when it doesn't work out, then we wonder why. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it never, it's never worked out that way. And that's what we do, honestly, and that's what we're doing to our young people today. And if you look, um, we're losing probably about 70%, 60 to 70% of our youth groups leave the church and don't come back by the time they hit college age. We're losing them to sec- we're losing them to secular progressivism. Mm. And uh and, and that that's a big that's a staggering number. Sixty to seventy percent. In the churches of Christ it's higher than that. It's seventy five to eighty percent. Um but I you know, like I said, I preach for I'll, I'll preach at any church they want me to come and speak at. Uh but but here's the thing. Here's the thing with that and it, it's it's very simple. It's very simple, because I, I mentioned the word identity. I'm a, I'm a big talker when it comes to identity. And um, one of the things that people like to pawn off now, and you've probably heard it said, um, people probably said it, I know I've said it, we tell people all the time, hey, I'm, just, I'm, I'm a sinner just like you. And, and that's true to a degree, but I'm not a sinner anymore. I'm saved. And, and the reason that we tell people I'm a sinner just like you is because of the next phrase that we say after that. We tell people, because, you know, look, man, all you have to do is follow Jesus. That's it. All you have to do is follow Jesus. But Paul, you know, going back to the book of 1 Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians 11, uh, Paul says, follow me or imitate me as I imitate Christ. You see, we, and Jesus, in the Great Commission, in Matthew 28 and Mark 16, he tells us to go and make disciples. You know, so we have a responsibility as Christians to be an example and to disciple, teach them in the ways in which to follow after Jesus, and we don't want to do that anymore, so we just tell people, hey, I'm a sinner just like you, all you have to do is follow Jesus, because that takes the whole, don't, don't follow me, don't, but here's the thing, me as a Christian, as a church leader, I want people to follow me, I want people behind me, because that means that there's somebody behind me to catch me when I fall, that means that there's somebody behind me to lift me up when I'm down, you know, so it's okay to teach somebody, and, and we don't want to be vulnerable, but you have to be vulnerable, when it comes to following Jesus, because it's an ultimate act of submission. Well, moreover, that whole notion of iron sharpening iron, that seems yeah. to be a component that's sort of missing. And I think that's also been uh, part of the, the, the fallout of the so-called megachurch movement, and that is that it becomes so impersonal, so disconnected, that there's not that, that human touch, that intimacy, that iron sharpening iron that yeah. Scripture talks of that is ne- necessary to take place for, I think, true discipleship to form. Yeah. Now, that said, let's talk about um, this um, spiritual renewal weekend. Give us details, if you would, Andrew. Yeah, normally when I, I go and speak somewhere, it's Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and uh, one of the things that I, that I want to do over the, over three days, I'm going to be I'm going to do six lessons in three days um, on being one. So it doesn't matter what your faith background is. You don't have to be a member of the Church of Christ to come to this event. If you if you have if you're going to a community church, if you're going to it doesn't matter what kind of church you're going to. We want you to come to this event because here's the thing is um, and here's what I'm going to be focusing on in Ephesians chapter two, beginning at verse twelve. The, the, the writer says the word, he uses the first word, the word is remember. So this is something for all of us that we all have to remember, that you one time were separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, 
and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in this world. We've all been there. We've all not had this hope. Well, you know what God did give us? God did give us hope. In verse 19 of that same chapter, he says, So then now you're no longer strangers and aliens, but now you're a fellow citizen with the saints and are in God's household. If you and I, and it doesn't matter where we came from, it doesn't matter who we are, it doesn't matter how much money we make, what we wear, how much clothes, you know, what we drive, none of that's going to matter. If you are willing to follow Jesus and make Jesus your identity, you're not going to be a stranger anymore, and you're going to be a citizen of God's household. And what we want to talk about over these three days is renew our spirits to be one household, this sense of, of the, the, the sense of cooperation, the sense of working together, the, the sense of building each other up, because only when we start to do that will we start building our nation back up. Andrew, if folks want to get more information about this, uh, where's the best place for them to go? Uh, com. It's, uh, it's a long last name. I know C-H-A-V-A-R-R-I-L-L-A, Andrew, before that, com. Um, or find me on Twitter. There's a link straight to my, my website on Twitter. It's at Church Patriot. It's really easy. Uh, if you follow me on Twitter, you'll be able to find my Facebook, my website, and all the times and the dates and everything are listed there. And, of course, you know, even if you just Google it, you know, uh, <laughs> bowing to the difficulty of your last name, I yeah. found if you just Google Andrew and just get into Shava, R-I-L, yeah. you'll, you'll, you'll find him that way, too. Or, again, the yeah. Twitter at, at Church Patriot. Well, Andrew, we appreciate the time and the insights and encourage listeners, hey, this is a good way to get a deeper understanding about what Christ wants for the church when he prayed that we would all be one. What does not only that that look like, but what does it mean in terms of being able to increase the effectiveness and the impact of the church on the world around us? As I said earlier, while the Bible is the standard setter, the church is the standard bearer. Our thanks to Pastor Andrew Chavarria for being with us tonight on this segment of Life Life. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. I sat down the other day with a friend of church who recently had a new addition to the family, a new baby daughter, and of course the usual thrill and delight that any father demonstrates when he's got his first daughter. And as we were talking about what this meant now in becoming a father to a daughter and the challenges that uh, she would no doubt face growing up in the world that's filled with uh, so much sin and everything that we see on TV and on the Internet and so forth, he turned to me at one point in the conversation. He said, you know, Craig, he says, I think that I would feel better about this if I could just lock my daughter in the house, cut off the Internet and television until she's, say, 35, and then I would feel okay about this. Certainly, as he says that tongue-in-cheek, uh, that might be a temptation. But all of us recognize that raising kids today, be they daughters or sons, in a world that is filled with so much sin and so much stuff that is available on the Internet, on the streets, texting, telephones, and, of course, television and entertainment and so forth, presents some huge challenges to parents who want to do all they can to properly train up a child and, in many respects, prepare them for what it means to become adults. 
Taking a look at this um, somewhat of a challenging topic is Dennis Rainey from Family Life Today, author of a number of best-selling books down through the years, of course, uh, including one of his latest, Stepping Up, A Call to Courageous Manhood. And uh, Dennis, as always, great to have you on the program. It's great to be with you too, Craig. I haven't been out in your direction in a long time. Let's talk a bit about um, the passport to purity, which is something I think is coming just in time for parents who really struggle with what they see going on in the world around them. And they say, you know, there are so many ways in which my son or my daughter has been being pulled in this direction or that direction. And it almost seems as if there's just no simple surefire way, short of my friend's recommendation to locking them in the house till they're 35, to protect them from all this. Craig, for 11 years, I taught a sixth-grade Sunday school class. I had 550 11- and 12-year-olds go through my class. And by the time I finished teaching that, that class, I was convinced that uh, the ages 10, 11, 12 provided a window of opportunity that most parents don't realize is there and don't seize the moment to drive a truckload of truth and boundaries and education into their lives for the very reason you're talking about. They're just around the corner from what I believe is the most perilous some of the most perilous years a human being faces on the planet, the teenage years. And I created a tool that was really the contents of what I taught those kids, and it's called Passport to Purity. And what it is is it's a, a package of, a, of CDs that a parent can play, and uh, in the process, uh, the, we guide the parent in how to have discussions with the father, son, mother, daughter, over a Friday night, Saturday, to prepare them for what they're going to face in adolescence. And uh, personally, we've done a lot of good things at Family Life over the years. Our broadcast, you know, heard daily, 8.30 in the morning on uh, KFAX. Um, But this tool, Passport to Purity, has had 150,000 young people go through it. And I think it's one of the best things we've ever done, bar none. And, you know, Dennis, when we think about the challenges that young parents are facing, and I'm sure you hear this all the time from listeners who call in and write you um, from the broadcast, who say, you know, boy, to sit down with my kids, uh, number one, when we were kids growing up, and, you know, for our our child's perspective, that seems like back in the Stone Ages, uh, many of these things weren't even discussed. I mean, I I don't think I began dating with even any kind of cursory permission from Dad till 16, 17 years old. I mean, anything earlier than that, you're too young. So the kids seem to be growing up a lot faster, and then a lot of parents feel so overwhelmed because unlike what it was like when we grew up, we didn't have to deal with the Internet and sexting and texting and what goes on with uh, modern-day technology. And a lot of parents, I think, as a result, Dennis, feel so ill-equipped to address these critical topics that sometimes they make the big mistake of simply saying nothing at all or waiting until it's too late. And in the process, Craig, what they do is they let the world do it. Mm. See, when we as parents don't fulfill our ministry in the lives of our our children, and by the way, your children are not your youth pastor's responsibility. Your children are your responsibility. God gave them to you. It is your ministry. In in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul says, since we've received this ministry, we do not lose heart. And I think what the culture is doing, Craig, is I think it's robbing parents of their courage. 
It convinces them they're not experts. They don't know what they're doing. They're ill-equipped, as you said. And what we've sought to do is put together a tool that makes the parent look like a hero. Because this is, this is a cool tool. So what you're really doing then here, Dennis, with the passport to purity is you're blowing some really big misconceptions out of the water. To begin with the idea that some parents think that this is an option to educate or not to educate on the topic of purity and, and sexuality and so forth. Oh, believe me, they will get educated. The question is, is it going to be done within the context of God's design for relationships, or is it going to be done outside of the home, outside of the church, by the modern culture and media? Paul writes in Romans chapter 16, uh, near, near the end of that chapter, in the end of the book of Romans, this statement. He said, he's speaking like a parent. He said, but I want you to be wise in what is good and innocent in, of what is evil. Now, if you could capture the assignment of a parent, the assignment of a parent is to train their children in wisdom, which comes from God, skill in everyday living according to the scriptures, be wise in what is good, and to protect your children from evil, to be innocent. So they don't arrive in marriage carrying luggage from all the mistakes that they've made being allowed to go their own way all the way through adolescence. And, and even if you do this with excellence, you still may not prevent that because they've got a choice. But to not engage and, and, and not have the discussion, I think what Passport to Purity does that is so effective is it gives the parent and the, the young person, the 10, 11, 12-year-old, a common vocabulary, a common lexicon of terms and of topics that can be discussed, not just in this Friday night, Saturday experience, uh, mother, daughter, father, son, one time, but can be talked about then, followed up on the next week, the next month, and then for the next uh, decade of their lives as they go through adolescence. And if there's ever been a time when young people needed parents to be engaged in their lives, it's when they're going through the adolescent years before they reach adulthood and maturity. Is this a tool that would have made life even easier for you and Barbara had this been available to you when you were raising your kids? Oh, absolutely. The reason I taught the, the sixth grade Sunday school class is because I didn't know what I was doing. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to use the sixth grade Sunday school class to teach my kids. And by the time you teach something 11 times, the kids don't realize it, but they've probably taught you more as a parent than you've taught them. <laughs> Very true. And, and what I said was, I want to put this, what I learned over 11 years of teaching this class, the object lessons, how we went about it, how we had fun doing it, very entertaining style, music, drama, all kinds of fun surprises along the way, embarrassing moments where we talk about, now you're turning red, because we're talking about the most intimate of life issues. We had fun doing it, and the kids enjoyed it in the process. It's interesting, uh, Craig, I've got... Uh, soon to have 19 grandkids. Barbara and I are very young, but our our kids have not been bashful about being fruitful and multiplying, okay? <laughs> but we're now seeing some of my grandkids go through this. And it is really cool to think that here is a, a, a 10, 11, 12-year-old who is being coached around the major traps he or she is going to face multiple times through adolescence and have a game plan 
and hopefully a high enough standard on the front end that they'll be able to stay out of the traps and be innocent of what is evil. And, you know, when you think about this, it comes down to issues of really helping kids to understand that all along the way in life, they are going to be confronted with choices. The question is, ultimately, are they going to be equipped to have the right answer, the right decision-making process to make the right choices? And I guess that's where so often today, Dennis, modern education and secular society fails our kids because a lot of them are out there with an agenda that tries to present up the notion that there aren't any choices, that, for example, if a young lady finds herself in a crisis pregnancy situation, that the only choice she has is to abort that child, that there are no options. This, in fact, really helps to educate the children then from a very early age on this topic to understand that they've got choices in life. I I, I, I don't have this documented, but I recently heard about a, a major publisher that had done some research among pastors. And um, the number one concern these pastors had about the people going to their church was that there's a generation of young men and women getting married, having kids, forming their own families, and and biblically, they don't have those convictions in place. Mm. And what what we've attempted to do here is not just have a fun experience with a father-son, mother-daughter, but to to take them to the Scripture and let them see, you know what, the Bible, the Bible is fun. The Bible is relevant. The Bible saves you from death. It saves you from pain. It saves you from shame, from guilt. And if you follow the teachings of Jesus Christ, if you build your life around right choices, which is wisdom and not foolishness, you're going to to not only experience adolescence on a whole different level, you're going to move into adulthood, kind of knowing where you're going and where you base your life upon. And I think it's every parent's desire that their son or daughter be equipped as they leave their home when they're 18, 19, 20, whenever it is, to be able to live life and live it skillfully. Dennis Rainey, my guest today on this edition of Lifeline. The program, of course, Family Life Today, comes your way every weekday morning at 8.30 a.m. right here on KFAX. Dennis, of course, when he pulls out the pictures of the grandkids, it's not just a few photographs in a wallet. There's a whole PowerPoint presentation. We're going to come back to more of our conversation, a look at Passport to Purity, and by the way, how this wonderful resource can be available to you and your family as our conversation with Dennis Rainey in Family Life Today continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back to this edition of Lifeline. Craig Roberts along with a very special guest. You recognize his voice certainly as host of Family Life Today. Heard weekday mornings at 8.30 a.m. right here on KFAX. He's Dennis Rainey, and Dennis has joined us today to talk about a wonderful resource that he's making available through Family Life Today. And you can get more details, by the way, on the web by going to familylife.com. That's familylife.com. This new resource is called Passport to Purity. And help you better equip your child for what they're going to face in life, particularly when we talk about many of the issues related to modern-day sexuality and all that that means. And you know what's interesting, Dennis? A lot of parents think that they are singular in the role of raising up a child or influencing a child. But I guess the real reality is that when it comes to child-rearing, there are some other influences taking place in there as well. 
friendships, their peers, the people that they associate with, the influences that they're going to be subjected to in modern-day culture and media. You know, Craig, we raised six children through adolescence. Nothing challenged my leadership like raising kids through adolescence. It was all hands on deck every day. But the biggest challenge, and this is going to sound terribly hypocritical, but it was Christian peers, kids that our kids went to church with, who they looked up to, but who um, would encourage our children to disobey us or or call us fuddy-duddies or out to lunch. And I think by the time I finished raising, Barbara and I finished raising our six, we both, we both knew that we had to know what was going on in our kids' lives around peer pressure, who, who their friends were, where they came from, and even if they went to church with our kids, did not guarantee that they were going to give them sound advice. So this notion that somehow, well, if we send our child to a, a Christian school, for example, and certainly <laughs> means nothing from a pejorative sense whatsoever, but the fact of the matter is you never know how another parent is training up their child or the kind of values that they're instilling in them. And so as a result, it really comes back to building that firm, solid foundation with your son or daughter as early on as possible. You know, one of the most revealing um, times as we raised each of our six into adolescence came in junior high and high school. It was, as you just said, Craig, it was as our kids' friends moved into adolescence with them, we begin to see what the true values were and how they got played out in everyday life in these peers. And what looked like a Christian family with Christian teaching, and you, you would think with high standards, the junior high years, the high school years, revealed, hey, wait a second, you know what? It may have had the appearance of going to church, teaching about Christ, but the young person either didn't get it or the parents didn't teach it because the way they were living was in a different direction. Dennis, do sometimes the parents kind of think, and and falsely so, that this will all sort of take care of itself? In other words, I might feel bashful or awkward about addressing the issue of um, sexuality with my daughter, say. So I assume that, well, this will be covered in Sunday school, and they'll get some education because, after all, we're we're making the sacrifice to send the kids to a private school. Those topics will be addressed there, and of course, they're good kids, and we take them to school and to church uh, every week, and so we really don't have to worry about this, it'll all take care of itself. Is that is that a, a do you find in your experience that is a frequent misperception? I think so, and I think there's one other thing I'd add to it. I think a lot of parents are afraid to get into the conversation with their kids about sex because they're afraid their kids are going to say, "Hey, mom, dad, what'd you do?" There it is, and that's the reality. I think that parents need to come to grips with that, as you say, for our generation. Uh, getting access to a lot of this meant heading down to the you know the ugly, seedy side of town that nobody ever went into. Uh, today, you don't have to even leave the convenience and privacy of your own home. It finds you. And I guess in the, in the, in the final analysis, Dennis, parents have to understand, look, this is going to find your kids one way or another. The question is, when it does, will they be ready with an answer? Will they be equipped with the kind of tools, skills, and moral and spiritual foundation that they need to make the right choices? No more valuable a gift that you could give to your son or daughter at a time when they need it the most than the passport 
to purity. Again, more information online at familylife.com. That's familylife.com. Grandma, grandpa, don't wait for your son and daughter to go out and pick up a copy. Do something right now. Be proactive to protect your grandkids. Go online and order it today. Get more information. Familylife.com, the passport to purity. Dennis, as always, we sure appreciate the time, my friend. And appreciate you, Craig, and love the listeners of KFAX in the Bay Area. And look forward to seeing you someday. Look forward to you getting away from the heat and come on out here and join us in the the natural air conditioning of the Bay Area fog. There's Dennis Rainey from Family Life Today, the broadcast weekday mornings at 8.30 right here on KFAX. Check it out. Invite a friend to listen and check out, too, more information on the Passport to Purity. Simply log on to familylife.com. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of Lifeline. Thanks so much for being with us. And if there was anything you heard on today's show that you'd like to hear again or share with a friend, grab a copy of the Lifeline podcast. Simply log on to kfax.com. That's kfax.com for the Lifeline podcast. Our producer is Wanda Sanchez. I'm Craig Roberts. Till next time round, remember, just don't keep the faith. Get out there and share it and make it a great evening. So long. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Communications, all rights reserved.